This is the EWN Podcast Network. Everybody wants to win. It's how we define success in life. Michelle Nagel explores resilience, teaches you happiness hacks, and provides tools for building positive relationships, all of which are essential for winning at the game of life. Join us to learn how to roar. Hi, this is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And today our guest is... Gorna Angert, who is a multi-talented writer, director, business strategist, and president and CXO of Crew International LLC and Max and Me Films. Gorna brings a unique and difficult-to-find combination of skills, knowledge, and experience that seamlessly blends strategy, experience design, and cinematic expression. Gorna now helps coaches, experts, and service-based businesses monetize their clients' success stories they worked so hard for through her proprietary programs, directing success method, profitable testimonials blueprint, and profitable documentaries blueprint. Her most notable contribution to film is a story structure for business documentaries that combines business promotion with creating awareness and movement around solving bigger social issues facing us today. She's also the host of Street Cred Show, available on iTunes a best-selling co-author of Succeeding Against All Odds and Certified Strategic Intervention Coach. So welcome, Gorna. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Um, It's a pleasure to be here. So our podcast talks about resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. And you have expressed that um, one of those means a little bit more to you than another. Would you like to share with us what that is? Um, yeah, I think um, actually a couple of them. Um, the resilience for sure, optimism for sure, and just finding your own way. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. it's, not, um, it, it's not always that you're going to have everything given to you and it's going to just be there for you to just do whatever you want to do. You kind of have to forge your own path mm-hmm. and find your own process in the process. Right. So, so, yeah, I think they're all important. Okay, wonderful. So, um, tell me, how, what, how is your journey? How did you come from where you were to where you are now as um, the business that you chose and also in your personal life, if you care to share that? Oh, sure. Um, so, I started um, very young acting, actually. Um, I started acting when I was nine years old. And then my first, um, my very first job was acting in a national theater in Belgrade. I was born in Belgrade and then I moved to the States mm-hmm. when I was 18. And so my very first job was acting in theater. Uh, I was in Aida and Rigoletto, two Verdi's operas. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a funny story how that came about because um, it took a little while to get in and the way it started is I just love shoes. I have this, you know, thing for shoes, like we all do, right? And I, I was 15 years old, I think, at the time, and I asked my dad if I could have some money to buy shoes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Dad, can I have this money to, you know, I saw this pair of shoes. And, that, and he said, well, you can have whatever you want as long as you get a job and you make money and you can pay for whatever you want. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. (laughs) And in my 15-year-old wisdom, um, I didn't know any better at the time, right? Uh, I said, okay, let me get a job in theater because that's kind of the only thing I know how to do because I was doing acting when I was nine all the way through. And then I was a member of an amateur theater at the time. And and I said, okay, let me just do that. People are going to pay me for that. And then I'll buy shoes, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) So I started on um, going around town because there are not that many theaters in town. You know, you, they're a handful, right? Right. So I go from one to the other to the other to the other on foot um, and literally would go in and say, do you have a job for me? And then everybody would just look at me like with a blank stare, like, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> you know, like just slam the door like, like no. And so after I exhausted like one round, right? I would go again. Uh-huh. You know, I kind of didn't even know about that Einstein's thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> if you keep doing the same thing, you, you know, expecting a different result, you're probably insane. But um, I kept going, like I did so many rounds, took probably a few months. 
And then I came to a National Theatre Satellite stage, uh, which was in the suburbs of Belgrade. And this lady, uh, who was kind of like an ad administrative assistant or like a secretary or something, um, I said, do you have a job for me? And, and she goes, child, stop walking around town already. <laughs> <You know? laughs> here's, here's a phone number and call this person and he can help you. And I didn't know who, who that person was. I said, thank you. <laughs> you know? I thought she felt pity for me or something. You know, she's like, just call this person. Mm -hmm. And so I called that person. I didn't know who that person was. I just had his name and phone number. And I was in high school. And so our school was too small for the number of kids that we had. So we had two shifts. And we would switch the shift every other week. And so 2 o'clock in the afternoon was in between those shifts. Mm -hmm. So I called the person every day for probably like three months. Wow. <laughs> At 2 o'clock, because that was the only time that I can make sure to call them in between those times. And every day I would say, you got something? And he would, say, he would answer, which puzzled me to no end. Like, why would he answer every time? Because he knows it was me. <laughs> you know? yes. He would answer every time. And then um, I would say, do you have something? And he would say, no, and hang up. And then I would call the next day. And he said, you got something? <laughs> he would say, no, and hang up. And so I kept calling him every single day, like day in, day out, Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday bank holiday it didn't matter it was two o'clock i was calling him and um and then one day he said you're on wow and it was uh he says meet me on the side entrance of this beautiful theater um the main stage in the center of the city and you know you have to go into makeup and all of that that was that was rigoletto and i played Paige, a boy because i was um, short and kind of pudgy and so <laughs> so I fit that like playing a page and uh, I went there he showed me what I needed to do and um, I went into makeup and that's how it started you know wow, and so, that perseverance I, I'm in <laughs> awe perseverance like every day for about three months that's amazing I called him I don't even know how long and it was so interesting because um the person that that person was a casting director and he gave me a great um advice you know and he said you don't you always want to be like a diamond you want to have all these different sides to you so you can shine mm -hmm. you know and kind of like explore different things and and um and then i thought that was really interesting because he kind of took me under his wing after that and i auditioned for a new production of aida which was great so i got that job and um, that's how it started. And then my, my family kind of got, at first they were thinking this theater thing is just sort of like a phase or, it, you know, just something kids do for like extracurricular activity, whatever. And now I had an actual paying job and I wasn't old enough to have a bank account. Mm -hmm. So my money was going to my dad's account. And I have to tell you that he never questioned my shoe... <laughs> my shoe ask ever again. <laughs> you know? I never knew how much I made to tell you the truth, but I had every single pair of shoes that I wanted. Okay. So that's that <laughs> yes. Did you feel like the, um, the guy that you had kept calling was kind of like testing you to see if you were really sincere about what you were saying you wanted to do? Uh, I think I didn't feel that at that time because I was too young to even like have those kind of filters. I just went for it. Uh -huh. But I think later on, those kind of things showed up. Mm -hmm. So what happened was my, um, my family would say, you know, art doesn't pay bills. You know, mm -hmm. the odds of you making it in theater or in film or whatever, it's, it's really slim to none. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at it that way. And then they would say, you know, in our family, um, women are doctors and men are engineers. Mm -hmm. So what's your plan B? Interesting. Like this, this is only like a side hustle, you know, like it's, it's really not a real thing, you right. know? Mm -hmm. So, so what are you going to do? So I said, well, you know, I'll be an engineer then, <laughs> you know, like that re rebellious thing. I don't want to be a doctor. I, I'll, I'll go the engineering route. 
So I studied math and computer science. That was my, my major. And, um, and I became a network engineer. So, um, so after that, after I finished that school in Serbia, I moved to uh, Los Angeles to go to film school. And that was unfortunate timing, really, because it was the time when the um, former Yugoslavia started to break down, mm -hmm. civil war and everything. And it was the time when there were UN sanctions uh -huh. against Belgrade. So you couldn't, there were no fly zones, you couldn't fly in and out, you could, you have to I had to take the train to Budapest and fly out of there. Um, I couldn't get money out to pay for my school. And so my plan B <laughs> came, came true, right? Like, okay, what's your plan B? Well, my plan B was to, you know, go into information technology and, you know, be a network engineer. And so I did that for a really long time uh -huh. and had a whole corporate career from that. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing is um, what you just asked, is did anything really keep coming back and kind of are you on the right path and that happened all the time mm -hmm. so i'm having this it career which was actually really great you know i made really great money from very early on i had everything i wanted <clears throat> i had the cars and the, and the houses and, and like everything but i always felt like something's missing this is not what i'm supposed to be doing like i was good at it i worked hard at it but it was like, what's the other thing, <laughs> you know? And it was always coming back to film. My earliest memory actually is of framing long shots, you know, watching a woman in high heel shoes navigate cobblestone um, uh -huh. pavement mm -hmm. and trying not to stick her heel in between the stones. Right. Like that's the earliest memory that I have, which is a really weird thing because, you know, if you're three years old, like how, you know, how's that happening? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, um, but that keeps coming back. So like, for example, for a few minutes, I thought I liked real estate, you know, let me get a real estate license. I like real estate investing. I like architecture. I like design. <clears throat> I like interior design. So I did that. And then instead of like, <laughs> learning how to sell houses or do you know actually sell houses mm -hmm. I would go to agents and I would say can I make a documentary about your listing so you can sell it faster can wow. we do this HGTV thing uh -huh. <laughs> so I would do that and it's like okay and then later on I got certified as a strategic intervention coach through Robin Smedana's um, Institute for Strategic Intervention and and I said, okay, I can be a coach. That can be like, you know, offsetting this really analytical work, IT work. Because mm -hmm. I always thought of myself as an artist trapped in nerd's mind. So like I needed that artistic expression. Uh -huh. So I said, I can do that for a little while. And then you know what happened out of that? No I way. created a course. <laughs> <laughs> I created a course, but, you know, was it a course about, you know, strategic intervention? No, it was Video Secrets of 2013. <laughs> Okay. And like, okay, stop it. You know, you just really need to go with it. Uh -huh. and, so, um, and so like over the years, <clears throat> in 2006, I started my consulting company and um, for the corporate side of, of things. So I was network engineer, then I became a, a project manager, program manager, portfolio manager, running IT as a business, creating IT services. Um, my budget was like, I don't know, $50 million or something. Um, and I think between my own work and my teams, uh, we deployed probably over a quarter of a, of a billion dollars in IT investments over time. Mm -hmm. And so when I did get the strategic intervention um, certification, it really helped in corporate world. Mm -hmm. And then I started my own consulting company and I start learning about marketing <clears throat> because now I had to market myself, which I never had to do before. Right. And so now I had the technology background, I had this artistic, creative side, and I had the marketing, um, and it all came together in a program that I made <clears throat> on how to um, design client experience in your business so that your clients not only get great results from working with you, but they also keep coming back and referring you like crazy. Mm -hmm. And at the time, that was called um, a super fan machine. Uh-huh. 
but it has evolved <laughs> because I realized it's not just, it, it is not just creating an experience that would give you a raving fan. It's really about how do you take that design and the experience and the results that you give to your clients to really advance your own mission. So I created um, a directing success method based off of that, kind of involved into it, that also incorporates your strategic objectives. So you're not only doing work for your clients for which they paid you for, which I call a core objective, mm -hmm. but also what's in it for you while you're doing that at the same time, you know, on the same timeline. So that way you can avoid your peaks and valleys and roller coaster ride of, um, you know, the um, cash flow issues. You know, you have clients and then everything's great and then do work and then you can't market and then you go, you have no money and you have no clients. Right. right. So you can avoid those kind of things. So that's how I created this, this program. And then um, I founded CXO Crew International, a strategic innovation and experience design studio. And then I added to that the cinematic expression of um, if I'm able to create a success story through the design of the experience for my client, then I need to be able to tell that story in a way that brings me more ideal clients. And so I created Profitable Testimonials Blueprint that teaches people how to activate social proof mm -hmm. and increase their conversion through telling the stories of their client's success. So you didn't actually start out with a plan as to how you would arrive from where you were to where you are right now. Um, yeah. And you kind of, did you discover that the life experiences that you were having, even though they didn't make any sense at the time, all of a sudden now they make sense that you're able to look back on them? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Like you go back and you see, um, like I mentioned, I, I think of myself as an artist trapped in nerd's mind, but now I can go, <laughs> right? But now I can go between being strategic and tactical kind of interchangeably. Like I can see a big picture and I can go down into the details and into the weeds. Mm -hmm. I can be creative and I can be analytical. And so it's sort of like that balance of these two worlds, really, mm -hmm. of a creative and, and an IT engineer, <laughs> coming together and you can see that pretty much through all my work kind of weaves it goes in and out and, and it weaves through so definitely mm -hmm. definitely now looking back I can connect the dots kind of like what Steve Jobs was talking about in his Stanford address mm -hmm. you know you can't connect the dots looking forward but you right. can connect the dots looking backwards right so now I'm like yeah of course you know I spend that time now I know that so now I can incorporate so yeah, absolutely. It wasn't a waste of time. Like anything that I, I don't feel like it was a waste of time um, at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, tell me about uh, a time when you've had to exercise your resilience. Okay. Um, well, I can tell you about um, a chapter in um, Succeeding Against All Odds. It's a book that I did with Sandra Yancey, it was uh, Linda Clemens, it was Ken Cragen, Fabian Fredrickson, um, there were, looks like 33 other people. I think it was like 35 of us together mm -hmm. putting this collaboration. And I wrote about a time when I did have to exercise resilience. Um, and when we were working on this project, <clears throat> I wanted to write about something that happens every day. Mm -hmm because I knew that many of the other co-authors um, had really um, real struggles like overcoming cancer or um, finding themselves homeless or something really uh, very dramatic mm -hmm. that can, you know, hitting a rock bottom, uh, you know, dealing with addiction, whatever, whatever the case might have been. Um, and I feel like there are things that sometimes happen in everyday life, they can derail you. You don't have to go through such an extreme experience to have a moment and say, okay, now I'm gonna change my life, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I wrote about an accident, actually, that happened to me. Um, I've been um, training Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu since 2008. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I remember, so this is what I wrote in the, in, the, in the book. And I remember going to class. I was a very dedicated student. I didn't miss a class. And I remember that night, it was a Friday. The class was at 7. I went to get my nails done first because <laughs> we have to get them first. <laughs> you, know, you can get on the mat with like raggedy old nails, right? <laughs> you have to get your nails done. So, so I'm sitting there waiting for my nails to dry. And I'm like, mm, you really shouldn't go to class today. Like mm-hmm. I just had that intuition, like, mm-hmm. like don't go tonight. And, and I'm like, no, I'm just down the street. Of course I should go tonight. Like I didn't miss a class. Of course I should go. I get to the dojo. I step on the mat. I'm like, you really shouldn't be here tonight. It was just kind of this voice in my head. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but I'm here already. Like, like you know, I'm going to have a class. Right. And the first, I went through the warm-ups, the, the exercise, it was all fine. And then we started to um, do sparring with, with, a, um, with a partner. And on the first roll, I fell on my shoulder and something happened. And I thought I sprained something, you know. Mm-hmm. It hurt, but then it was like, okay. Like, like it was manageable. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I felt like all my blood was just like drawn from my face. Like I just felt lightheaded and everything. And so I sat on the side. My partner brought me water. Everything was like, okay, I'm getting back to, to normal. Uh-huh. Um, my instructor had an injury similar to that. It was just a sprain. Nothing was broken. It was fine. So I thought, eh, this is going to be fine, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I go home and it was January. Um, it was really cold. It was icy. I was, I was living in Pennsylvania in Philadelphia then. And, um, I get out of my car. I slipped on ice. I fall. Oh dear. And then I realized that my clavicle was clinically broken. Oh like goodness. it just fell out of place. No, it, it, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be really, um, really gross here. But <laughs> place, and, and I went inside and I'm like, oh, okay, now I have to go to the emergency room. <laughs> so I drove myself to the emergency room, still in my like gi and everything. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, the, the, um, the nurse is trying to give me pain medicine. And I'm like, I'm not in pain. It's fine. I'm fine. (laughs) And I'm trying to tell her how wonderful it is to to train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's like strategic thinking. And, you you know, I'm trying to sell her on this thing that just broke me and put me in in a emergency room, you know? (laughs) That's optimism to the extreme. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) And so, you know, $700 later, of course, they couldn't do anything um, because they you know, they can fix broken bone right there. It, it was like a sling and that's, that's it. But um, long story short, I got surgery done um, next, uh, next week. So I was like with a broken arm for about a week. And, um, and then they put a plate. So it, would, it took like one stainless steel plate, one really good surgeon, $40,000 and six screws to wow. fix it. Wow. <laughs> so it's you still said this. You set off the airport alarms when you walk through them. I don't. Don't you? It's really thin. And I and I go I go through and I'm like, did you did you feel anything? But I went to the um, Karate Kid. I took uh-huh. my daughter to see Karate Kid pre premiere. Yes. Um, and you had to like put your cell phones away and everything. And their wand picked it up going uh-huh. into the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But not the airport. So I don't know what that's about. <laughs> Well, that would make us all nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really, it's really thin. It's really thin. It's like the same one that Lance Armstrong got when he broke his clavicle. But it's, a, it's an injury that's very common in Brazilian jiu-jitsu because it's supposed to protect your neck. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather it, it break in half than <laughs> break your neck, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so, so I took, it took about, I would say, two months to get back on the mat. And that was my first thing. Like how, how much time am I going to be off, off the mat and how much time I would not be training. And so it was supposed to be three months. 
but I think I will that into two months. That's, that's, opt that's another optimism. I think I meditated like every day, visualizing a doctor telling me how, you know, I can go back. And I yeah. could imagine, you know, I, I imagine myself sitting on the chair where somebody who comes with the patient would sit. Uh -huh. Like not where sick people sit on the table, right? But like on the chair. Uh -huh. And I would never sit on the table. I say, I'm not sick. I'm sitting up here. Uh -huh. and, and I just imagined that for like two months and, um, and it came true. It, it took about two months instead of three months, which was his original estimate. Mm -hmm. And then I went back on the mat and then um, I realized that all my peers have moved on. They became better because they had extra time to, mm -hmm. to train, right? I felt like I was left behind. Like I was not supposed to do that. So I asked my instructor if he would um, catch me up. And he said, of course, you know, not a problem. So we had extra private um, lessons. And, um, and we had this one in particular that I remember that I wrote in the book. Um, we were sparring for an hour, like just two of us. And he's, he's a black belt. He's really good. And um, we were sparring and everything that I wanted to do, I couldn't do. Oh. All my moves, nothing worked. I got tapped left and right and choked and everything. And I was so demoralized after that single class uh -huh. that I found myself sitting on, like they had these chairs um, just out, you know, just next to the, to the mat. So parents can watch the kids do their thing or if somebody comes they can watch and i just remember sitting there all disheveled my gi was like wet sweaty dirty um disheveled um my hair was all messed up like i was just i was a mess and i felt like i felt like somebody i felt like being a snow globe that somebody just rattled really fast and you uh -huh. get like all this stuff like all over mm -hmm. and so I'm sitting there I'm looking at my painted toes <laughs> drinking my coconut water and I'm like what the heck just happened you mm -hmm. know and I was like so close to quitting right there and then because I'm like look everybody's better I can't catch up I can't do anything right you know mm -hmm. um, I'm way behind I'm not good enough. I'm not good as everybody else. Like all this stupid stuff that goes through our head, right? Right. And then I realized that, you know, um, it's like, you're okay. No matter what, like your pride may be, you know, at risk. Or if you're in business, if something like that happens in business, your investment may be at risk. Your arm or leg or clavicle can be at risk. But you're not at risk. The formless you is never at risk. Uh -huh. You know? Uh -huh. And so, so I decided, like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to just not do it because I really love doing it. It's, it's such a great exercise mm -hmm. to, one, being able to defend yourself against a bigger, you know, adversary <laughs> right. opponent or, or somebody on the street, right? Because it's developed somebody smaller to be able to defend against somebody bigger uh, when there's no rules there are no time limits it's not a game so it's useful from that point of view but it's really useful just being able to think under pressure mm -hmm. you know and I always thought of it as it's a really good strate strategic thinking game and it's almost like subconscious you know you need to be able to anticipate what the person is going to do you should be able to do it with your eyes closed and so, um, so I just decided that like, no matter what, I'm just going to keep going because it's something that I enjoy doing and it doesn't matter, <laughs> you know, if I'm not as good as my instructor or not as good as my friend who started with me at the same time, like it doesn't matter. We're all on this, on the different paths, mm -hmm. on different timelines. We all have different strengths and body types and you know, there are certain moves that I can't do because I'm sure that somebody who is long, you know, who has long legs and long arms can do better, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but that doesn't mean that I should just give up, uh -huh. you know, so I just decided there that I'm okay no matter what.
Wow, that's really that's powerful. That's what I wrote about. <laughs> that's really powerful. So we're going to have to take a break. And, um, and please, everybody come back because Gorna has some really uh, important things and I've got some really good questions for her coming up. So come right back. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. This is Michelle Nagel with Roar to Win. And we're interviewing Gorna Angert, who is um, a, a writer, director, and a business strategist. And she's been given some really, really great points. I loved the last story that you just told about your, um, your injury in uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm -hmm. And I had a question that came up because I'm noticing a theme as we're going through our conversations here. And mm -hmm. it, it seems to be that no matter what comes into your life, you just are determined that you're going to succeed or move through it or um, accomplish your goals. Where did that come from? I really don't know. I think maybe I'm just stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's going to be my way or the hot. No. Um, I just feel like you can't quit. You know, you just have to do what you have to do for yourself and not try to fit into somebody else's mold. And so if I wanted to get a pair of shoes and I didn't have the money, then I'm going to make the money. And if I want to work in theater, then I'm going to work in theater, <laughs> you know? Uh -huh. And if I'm going to practice Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, then, then that's what's going to happen. And it's just making a decision that I want what I want when I want it now, and I'm going to work for it. Uh -huh. And so... Um, yeah, but it could, it, it could be from my grandfather as well. He was, he was a very big influence on me. And, um, and one of the things is that he always said is like, you can't quit. Uh -huh. I just can't quit. He was a high-integrity person, never liked to owe anybody any money. Like, he was just the most honest, um, trustworthy, kind of determined, hardworking person that I know. Like, yeah, he was my favorite person in my family. And he would always say, you know, don't quit. Mm -hmm. Just don't quit, you know. So maybe, maybe it's a combination. Mm -hmm. You also talked a lot about mindset. So um, tell, me, tell me how you came to that, to understanding your mindset and how that changes your ability to accomplish what it is you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I started with that when I was 16, maybe that same time that I got that job in theater. Um, but I was always um, fascinated by Shaolin monks um, and uh, mind over matter mm -hmm. and how we're all energy. And it's, it's really interesting because when I was in um, going to school, I was a math major. It's, a, it's really a science, uh, you know, oriented school. And I took a lot of, classes in physics and chemistry and biology and all kinds of all kinds of things and then when I moved to the states I didn't have to take any physics classes mm -hmm. I had classes in sixth grade um, in physics and so what I found is that I went to the library on my own looking for books in physics oh. because it was one of my favorite subjects and so I started to learn about quantum physics in particular, mm -hmm. and that really resonated with me. And I also started to look at 
some exercises that Shaolin monks will do in terms of being able to concentrate and um, just use their mind over, over matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I start learning about that. And that really, you know, meditating every day um, and, and just kind of, if I can settle my mind, <laughs> then everything else is just so much easier. Mm-hmm. And I have a story to tell you about that because the worst day of my life, um, I don't take any caffeine and I went back to Serbia where people drink um, coffee socially. Uh-huh. It's like if you go to somebody's house, they're going to offer you a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And it's really strong. It, it espresso, like I think in some places they call it Greek coffee or Turkish coffee, no filter. And I don't drink any caffeine. I went to four of my friends' houses, had four cups of that coffee, and then went to another friend's house. She gave me a Peruvian tea. <laughs> and oh. I don't know that, what was in that <laughs> at all. Like, I don't know. She's like, you got to try this. I have to tell you that I couldn't get home. My head was like spinning so fast. Uh-huh. I didn't know what was in anything. But, um, but that was the worst day because I couldn't get my head to stay still, <laughs> you know, my mind to stay still. Uh-huh. So I think if you can master the mindset, like everything just falls into place. Mm-hmm. That's, my, that's my thinking. So were you able to correct that with meditation or did you not practice meditation that was, at that point? That was just literally caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> caffeine working on my heart, <laughs> you know. All kinds of um, side effects of being highly caffeinated, I think. And who knows what else was in the tea. But that wore off, you know, after like a day. Then I was, I was back to normal. <laughs> wow. But, but now when I find myself kind of, um, you know, you may be doing something. And just recently um, I found out that there is a company that is doing very similar things with storytelling that, that I'm doing, but on an en- enterprise level. And... And I, and I found myself thinking, you know, okay, so I shouldn't do it because oh. somebody else is doing it. Uh-huh. Right? And then I thought, you know, you don't have a monopoly on ideas. Mm-hmm. You don't have a monopoly on storytelling. You don't have a monopoly of, on marketing, <laughs> you know. Right. Everybody's allowed to explore their own ideas. You just have to find your own way of sharing it with people mm-hmm. and getting through getting through your message and you know stories have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years it's language of experience right how you tell that story that that is the difference and the only differentiator that i see one of the the biggest ones is you your story your experience and your relationship with your clients right like that's something that nobody can take away from you. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is uniquely yours. And so there could be a million people doing the same thing that you're doing, but they're not doing it your way. Right. And I learned that from Martin Scorsese, who said, like, I can't teach you how to be a filmmaker. You have to find your own process. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no rule book. <laughs> you know, so you have to do X, Y, Z in this order. But you have to find your own process. And I think you're your own biggest um, a competitive advantage. You know? Yeah. Well, every, every person who's standing behind a camera sees the world through a different lens. So, um, exactly. yeah, that, that's why you can ta- have so many remakes of the same movie because somebody sees it in a different way and, and wants to do it a different way. Exactly. And, and the time is different. You right. Know? Yeah. And you so know. that's... I think that that's really an excellent point also because there are so many coaches. Like where I live, I live in, in Ashland, Oregon. And there's, it's like the only thing that we have are um, actors or um, coaches. But it's like that's not the only thing we've got. And I have often said there's a coach under every rock. But there's no other coach in the world who has had your experiences. There's no other yeah. coach in the world that's had my experiences. And so um, I'm able to do things that you can't do 
And it's the same with everybody else. We need to realize that we are all unique. And there's also the competition thing that you mentioned with, you know, somebody else doing it. So therefore, maybe you shouldn't do it. Um, the competition is like, how many billions of people are there in the world? And I know for myself, there's no possible way that I could ever serve every person on this planet. So I'm grateful that there are other people that I can say, oh, this person would be really good for you when I don't have the capacity to handle somebody. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And sometimes that just speaks to the interest that the market has mm -hmm. in the thing that you do. Right. You know, there's so many people making money at it, then, you know, there must be interest in that. There, there must be a demand. So, so it's, it, that's good. You know, right. that's a good thing. So tell me about how story can increase somebody's business. Mm -hmm. I love to use stories because we're all wired for a story. Mm -hmm. You know, stories are the things that we remember. Like I said, it's a language of experience. Um, back in the day, you know, telling stories meant survival, you know. Right. You're going to share your experience and then people won't do things that would get them killed. Right. <laughs> Back, back in the day, like back in the day. Um, so, so we're wired for story, right? And um, what I like to use it for is to, and, and what I do on my show too, is to share the street cred. Mm -hmm. Tell me a story of somebody that you've been, you've been helping. What is their experience? Mm -hmm. And what that does actually and why it helps people make money is that um, it activates social proof. Mm -hmm. because when we don't know what to do, let's say somebody gets diagnosed with an illness mm -hmm. or they have a problem or they have a leaky roof, like it can be really mundane, but when we don't know what to do, we don't know who to hire, we're going to try to search for it. And right. we're looking for people who are like us, mm -hmm. uh, who had a similar problem that we have or exactly the same problem that we have. We want to know what they did and we want to know what was the result. Mm -hmm. And what's also important is that we're looking for that when we're unsure what to do. Mm -hmm. So if I don't know who to hire, I may go look for a recommendation and then I'm going to check that person out if I do get a recommendation. And then I'm, I want to see what they did, who they helped, and what was the result. Mm -hmm. And so using stories to tell that, to activate social proof as social influence is really important. Mm -hmm. And very often people conflate testimonials with social proof and they're actually quite different. Mm -hmm. Can you explain? You have, right. The, the testimonials are just formal statements that talk about your credentials, your character, you know, and say Michelle is the best coach ever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And that's true, right? That's true. But for somebody who is looking for a specific problem to fix mm -hmm. from that statement, I don't have any social proof. Right. I can't recognize myself in it. I can't recognize my problem in it. I can't see what the solution was or what the results were. So, so if you're in a place where you need to sell, like, on your sales page, on your cart page, on your, um, on your sales, in your sales presentations, or um, as, a, as a webinar follow-up sequence even. You know, when people are unsure whether or not they should work with you is when you need to serve the stories to them. Okay. And you wanna, you wanna find out and curate the correct story for that context. Mm -hmm. Not all stories are the same. Not all testimonials are the same. So you want to find the story that speaks to your ideal client where they can recognize themselves in the story, the problem, the solution. And, in, you know, um, it will also show your expertise in it indirectly. The mm -hmm. story is not about you. <laughs> it's right. about the client and their result. Mm -hmm. uh, but indirectly, it's about you right. because you're able to help them. Mm -hmm. And so um, those are the stories that you want to tell. Okay. In those sales conversations, I think it's okay to use testimonials on your homepage or about like where people don't know you yet and you need to build that credibility. 
mm-hmm. and, and build trust. But if you're in a sales situation, stories work way better for activating that social influence where you want them to take out a credit card and say, help me, you know, mm-hmm. I believe that you can help me. Yeah. So that's, yeah. That's wonderful. I've never had anybody actually um, give the differentiation between a testimonial and a story because we're all told to collect testimonials. So, um, yeah. but I can see exactly how you said that the testimonial doesn't really tell the per- doesn't let the person see themselves in it mm-hmm. because somebody can say that Garna's a really excellent coach and she's really really good at what she does. But my thought is coaching at what and how did you get your help? And so that's where the story comes in. Yes. Awesome. Yes. That's, yeah. that, that's really a valuable insight. Yeah. And if you can get it on video, that's even better because there is something about people being willing to be in front of the camera and tell everybody, look, this person helped me. Mm-hmm. There is something about it. I mean, it's more credible than anything else that you can do. Um, it's more credible than, than um, doing case studies, written case studies, or white papers, or having a testimonial, or anything, any other form. Video works way better. If you can get it, just ask for it every single time. Uh-huh. If people don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. You know? But isn't that just a video testimonial, though? Or how do you, do you have them actually go into what you help them with? I actually have a certain questions that I ask mm-hmm. because I want to, I want to tease out the right story. Mm-hmm. I want to tease out the right thing that, that, um, it's very strategic actually, Okay. <laughs> but I never, ever, ever want to script it. Mm-hmm. Never want to tell person what to say. Right. You just want to collect their experience. Mm-hmm. And okay. so I have a set of questions that I would ask, um, that are, Uh, Mm credibility-based, which are questions about you and their experience working with you Mm -hmm. versus the questions that are social proof-based, which are about them and their transformation. Uh And so you want to ask those types of questions. Um, And it's like a makeover style. You know, what was your life before? What what did we do and what it is now? It's very simple. And then you just let them talk. Mm -hmm. Don't censor. You want their words because their words will attract the ideal client, Mm -hmm. not your words that you think you should say or they should say to make you look good Mm -hmm. because that's sanitized. That's your words. That's not their words, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have to, you have to look at that. Yeah, for sure. And then once you have the story, now you can curate because you can make up a story, Uh right? You can make it up. So it is what it is. It happened in the past. They're going to share whatever their experience was. And your job is to collect as many as you can. Okay. Of real life, what happened stories. And then when you need them, you curate. Because now you have an option of what you can choose from. Right. So if you're doing your online program, you want to curate stories about your online program. Mm-hmm. versus your workshops or a live event or a book or whatever, whatever the, the thing that you want to sell at the end is. So you want to curate it that way. But the key is to get as many stories as you can. Okay. And, yeah. And what I teach in directing success method is to incorporate that into your service design. Mm-hmm. So it's never an afterthought. It's not something that you go get when you need to do another sales page because you don't have social proof. Right. Right. And then now you're in this weird, weird thing because it's been a while since you worked with somebody. Now it's weird to ask. (laughs) Yeah. We think it's all about us, which is really not. (laughs) It's, it's more about the client Mm -hmm. and giving them an opportunity to confirm to themselves the transformation that they experienced and the help you provide it. So it also gives them confidence. It gives them um, just an ability to go forward knowing that they made a right decision. Mm -hmm. It's a lot about them in asking them those questions and confirming the results they got. So, yeah, so so through my directing success method, I teach that. um, I break everything in a story. So that's an act three (laughs) activity that you would do. (laughs) Yes. 
Act one is about setting up for success, which we rarely do. That's another thing. Act two is about doing the work. And then act three is about confirming results. Awesome. That's so. wonderful. <laughs> so, Gorda, how can people reach you? Uh, my website is at cxocrew.com. Uh -huh. That's Charlie X-Ray Oscar Crew, like J. Crew. So cxocrew.com. That's my main website. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of information there about different programs um, that that I can help with. And then um, I also have a um, a free gift that you can have the the link to for the audience if they want to download it. It's a it's basically a checklist on how to take an ordinary testimonial and make it into a money making client success story. Wow, that's so everything generous. that we talked about is kind of laid out in a very easy to digest way mm -hmm. that's um, wonderful thank you very much for being with us today i i everybody i think you should contact gorna because really story is what it's all about if you talk to many of the experts who are very successful in their business it's about story and mm -hmm. we are i mean that's how we did our that's how we're trained we are social animals and and we just do this um connection that way so um, Gorna, would you give us again your website one more time? It's cxocrew.com. Okay, wonderful. And please go check her out. And thank you so much, Gorna, for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today as we learned happiness hacks, relationship tools, how to refuel our resilience batteries and perfect our roar. Resilience, optimism, accountability, and resourcefulness. Roar to win. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This is the EWN Podcast Network.